Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting for Thursday, August 3rd, the Eating Your Feelings edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the dad of Eliza, age six, and Leo, who is three. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I am a podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am the mother of Henry, who is 16 today as of this recording. Uh, also mother to Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. Carvel Wallace, who usually joins us on this show, cannot be here this week. So Rebecca and I will be left to our own devices to tackle questions from two listeners, a mother whose daughter is struggling with overeating and another who's afraid her daughter has no passion in life. But first, triumphs and fails. Rebecca, did you triumph or did you fail? Well, I don't want to plagiarize your triumph of a couple of weeks ago just by saying my son is still alive and he's 16 today, uh, which does feel like a triumph, by the way, to raise a child to be 16 years old. It feels like I've been doing this for a long time. I was posting one of those obligatory, embarrassing photo albums to Facebook today and looking back and realizing like, oh, man, I've parented through a lot of crap and uh, it feels pretty good to have gotten to this point and have such a great kid. But I'm going to actually point to uh, one thing that stuck out today when I was posting that album that feels like a triumph. Way back in Christmas of 2009, um, our family gift that we purchased for all the kids and us, to be completely honest, was um, a Wii uh, video game set system and Beatles rock band. And when we purchased the Beatles rock band, that is really you know, taking me back to the bygone days of 2007 or whatever it was. When oh, we yeah. Were all playing Beatles rock band. Oh, yeah. It came out in like 2008, 2009, something like that. So, yeah, we, we bought it. And because we were doing this big family gift and it was kind of like our first big Christmas together um, with Kevin and I and the kids all together in one house. We thought it would just be fun to do something like everyone could participate in and do. And Henry uh, really took to the drums in Beatles Rock Band. And he actually learned how to play the drums by playing Beatles Rock Band. And I don't know if you've ever played Beatles Rock Band, Gabe, but the drums is actually playing the drums. That's right. If, if you're playing that <laughs> game drums. on the hardest level, then you essentially are Ringo Starr. 
Yeah, yeah. And you could actually become better than Ringo Starr, which some would argue is not that hard to do. But no putting this is not a music podcast, but there will be no putting down Ringo Starr on this show. Ringo is one of the great drummers of all time. I know. I know you love Ringo and I was just giving you crap. Anyway, um, Henry really took to the drums and it's the only instrument in Beatles rock band that's actually really an instrument. All the other instruments are just pushing buttons and simulating instrument play. But the drums are really drums. He started playing it obsessively. He learned all of the songs that were available on the game. I come, came to realize, like, he's kind of picked up an instrument here. Uh, we went to, like, a yard sale and bought him, like, a $100, somebody's, like, cast-off drum kit, brought it home, set it up, and he could actually play the drums after <laughs> after playing Beatles Rock Band. And he has stuck with this instrument now. He's been playing it since then, so this is his eighth year or so. He's now, like, an all-state jazz-aspiring drummer. He just got a really fancy new drum kit for his 16th birthday, and he's pretty damn good. And it all goes back to uh, this whole Beatles rock band thing. And more important, I think, the um, sort of introduction of music in a way that wasn't lesson-based, in a way that wasn't discipline-based. It was like, this is fun. This is a game. Give it a try. I mean, he's really the only person who came out of that experience having actually learned an instrument and has stuck with it all these years. But it ended up being quite a triumph, and I'm really proud of him, and he's a really great drummer. And I think I have some videos that I could share to prove it at some point in the future. So that's my triumph. It's a little bit retrospective, but that's what I was thinking about today. That's a great triumph. That's a real triumph. Now I feel bad because I also am, am going to risk a triumph uh, on this episode. But this is like the most small scale triumph. And that yours is a longitudinal triumph. Uh, holy cow. Good job. Here's my small scale triumph, which uh, the duration of my triumph is measured not in years, but in weeks. Um so it's summer. It's time of summer camp. Um, Eliza's been going to this day camp that some of her friends were going to. It's called Curious Jane. They have various locations in the New York metro area. It's for girls, and they have, like, courses on, like, cool projects and fun activities. And it's, some of her friends were going, but it seemed like also it was a good way uh, for her to do some of the fun stuff that she likes and and meet some new kids and whatever. Um, so I've been taking her to this camp, which is in another neighborhood every morning. And, um, she at first was not so into it. Um, she would come home and say, we would say, how was Curious Jane? And she would say, oh, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what did you do? Oh, yeah. Well, we made some stuff. Yeah. No, it was good. Yeah. It was okay. Um, and we were like, okay, well, this is not a super fun camp. What are you going to do? Um, and then for the third week, we, for logistical reasons, we thought there's another location of the same camp. We might, it would be more convenient for me to schlep her to this other location than to the original location. Let's change her to this other location. We asked her, do you care if you go to the third week at a different location? The classes are all changing up every week anyway. And she said, no, it doesn't make any difference to me. No, I could do it here. I could do it there. No, it doesn't really matter. So we, we, we had her going to this other location. And then a couple of days before the end of the second week, when which would have been, you know, her last time at the original location, she and I were walking to the camp and we found ourselves walking from the subway next to another girl and another dad. Uh, and the girl said, Eliza, hi. And Eliza said, oh, hi. And she said, are you in are you going to be in the camp next week? I'm really excited about camp next week. And she said, oh, yeah, but I'm going to another location. And me and the dad got to chatting, but the two girls got to chatting. And then after we dropped her off, then uh, me and the dad walked off and had a little chat. And that night at home, she was talking about this girl who she had 
whose name she had not known when we ran into her on the street, who she had not really paid any attention to at all. But that thing of being recognized and called by your name on the street is enough for some six-year-olds to establish like a really warm friendship. And so now hmm. she has a real friend there. And I suddenly felt really sad that we like she's it's taken her two weeks to make a friend and she's been in this camp and now suddenly it feels familiar to her. And when we asked her about, do you mind switching, then it didn't feel familiar, but now it does. And now she does mind. And I asked her and she said she would rather stay. And I, the next day I emailed the camp and they were like, yeah, sure, we have a spot for her. And so I prevented her from being separated from her new friend and moved to a brand new location and forced to reacclimate herself to a brand new camp. And I kept her in the camp that she was becoming acclimated to. And this week she's loving camp and she talks about her new friend all the time. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, it's not playing the drums, but it's if not a triumph, then at least a disaster averted. So um, I'll take the, I'll take the credit for that. Yeah, take it. But it's, I think there's a larger thing going on here, which is that you learned something about your daughter that she, you know, she maybe doesn't quite understand, you know, what friendship is yet. And she's learning about that now. You know, the whole idea of like being recognized by somebody you've interacted with and interacting with them like that is what friendship is. I think sometimes kids like build up these situations like in such, such a big way in their mind that they don't see you know, the forest for the trees. And they sort of have like this idea that I don't, I don't fit in. I don't have friends. I'm not, but she actually has been fitting in and, and I made a friend. And, and I think that that's an important thing that you'll be able to take with you to help her in the next situation where she's brand new and trying to get acclimated. You know, you can kind of replicate these conditions or ask her questions about kids she's interacted with that she may not think of as friends, but that actually are. So I think that's kind of a big deal. I like it. I think that's absolutely right what you're taking away from it. I think like one of the things it shows is like, wow, the bar is really low for kid friendships. And all, <laughs> and sometimes it's hard for them to clear even that very, very low bar. But if you can help nudge them over that little bar, then like, wow, now they've got a friend and now camp is way more fun. Yeah, yeah. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We will get to the listener questions in just a minute. Um, but first, uh, I have a couple of announcements. The first one is about another Slate show. It's the Dear Prudence podcast with Mallory Ortberg, author of the Dear Prudence column. Every week, Mallory and one of her guests answer your advice questions, not on parenting, but on friendship, work, sex, all of the other stuff in life that we don't tackle on this podcast. Uh, there was one from a recent episode in which a listener called in to say, I have a friend who I once said was unattractive. I told her that she was not attractive enough to get laid. Ugh. Now <laughs> she has spruced it up. She's she's elevated her game and now I would like to date her. What can I do? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can guess what Prudence said to that. <laughs> you might want to hear Mallory Ortberg handle that question. Um, if you're a Slate Plus member, you should definitely check it out because you get the full-length version of the show, not the short version of the show, and, of course, no ads. Uh, so check out the Dear Prudence podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, second announcement, we would like to hear from you. If you have a question for us, uh, 
leave us a voicemail, 424-255-7833. That's the best way uh, for us to get your questions. We like to have your voices on the show. You can also get to us at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting, uh, or on email, mom and dad at slate.com. Today on Slate Plus, uh, a couple weeks ago, we spoke about puzzles. Rebecca had some thoughts on puzzles, and uh, we got an interesting phone call about that from Matt. This call is from Mom and Dad are Fighting. This is Matt from Chicago. And Gabe asked Rebecca recently whether or not you look at the cover of the box when you do a puzzle to know where the pieces go, and she answered yes. And I have to say that if you look at the box while you're doing the puzzle, then you are a monster, <laughs> and I don't know who you are. So... Matt's a guy with strong opinions about puzzles, and uh, we thought there was more, and we thought he might have more to say than he was able to leave on that voicemail. He'll be calling into the show. He and Rebecca will be discussing this hot button puzzle <laughs> brouhaha uh, on our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear that, uh, now is the best time to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash app. Download the new Slate app for iOS. Try Slate Plus free for 90 days. Uh, if you don't have iOS or you don't want to use the app for some other reason, uh, you can get it at slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Uh, you'll get bonus segments from this show, including Rebecca explaining to Matt just exactly where he can get off with his strict rules about puzzle completion. <laughs> I can't wait, by the way. I can't wait. I also am looking forward to it, frankly. I did a mock debate earlier. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't actually do that. <laughs> Watch out, Matt. All right. We're going to take a couple calls from listeners. Our first question comes from Anna. Hi, my name is Anna. I have a question for mom and dad are fighting. My nine-year-old girl is overweight, as are many of her classmates. She loves bread and sweets particularly, and I feel has a focus and near compulsion with those foods. Or if not compulsion, you could call it an intense love and focus. I struggle a lot in trying to encourage healthy behaviors without building shame, which is a tricky balance that I do not feel I'm doing well currently. I'll add here that I also struggle to avoid overeating, and I've successfully been doing Weight Watchers for the past year, unbeknownst to her. At home and in school lunches, I can offer healthy options and only rare sweets. But when we're at a, at a cookout or party, to avoid regulating her every bite, my latest tactic is to try to teach rules of thumb, like have half your plate be vegetables and fruit and only choose one dessert. Still, she often doesn't do that or else comes over and says, can I have some X, whatever it is, over and over again, which drives me bonkers. Any advice for me on encouraging healthy habits while avoiding body hatred? Thank you. Yeah, this is an important one. Rebecca, uh, you have raised two children, two adolescents, which is more than I've done. Um, tell me how this has played out in your family. Well, it's played out in uh, actually with both of my kids. Henry, when he was about the age of her daughter, went through a phase that now he jokingly refers to as Henry the meatball phase, where the eating was compulsive, out of control. Um, like he would pay, take a stick of butter out of the fridge and just start eating it. Like I'm not joking. And he gained a lot of weight. And then, you know, at, at trips to the doctor and so forth, the doctor would say, you know, for kids this age in particular, pre-adolescence, it is extremely common for them to grow out and then grow up. And his advice at that time was just cool it. Just have like a whole thing where it's like, 
They're like every, you know, don't, don't, don't put your kid on a diet. Don't overly talk about the same kind of rules that adults would talk about if they were trying to lose weight. Just sort of have the philosophy be, these are the foods we eat most of the time. And then these are like sometimes foods. Um, right now I'm actually struggling with this with my younger son, Teddy. Henry, by the way, has, um, shot up, turned into like a very trim, teenager. And sometimes I'm actually concerned that he's too trim. That's a whole other uh, conversation. Um, but he, I think, has sort of developed sort of a sense of what he needs to eat, what he wants to eat. And, you know, he has desserts and whatever, but um, he sort of has struck, an, struck a balance. Teddy, on the other hand, he is now at 14 in his overeating phase. I see a lot of the same patterns that I saw with Henry when he was younger. Teddy is eating Constantly. Teddy sent me a text message this morning when I was at work that he had biked from his dad's house to the cafe in town for breakfast because, you know, the adults were at work. So he had ridden his bike there and he had eaten so much that he didn't want to bike back. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a problem. He's, he used to be a very, very, very thin, traditionally kind of underweight kid and he's definitely put on a lot of weight. Um, but here's where I, now, I'm not a nutritionist. I think it's, I think it's fair to say that like, Gabe and I are not medical professionals in any way. And, uh, there's probably some, like, really sound dietitian based advice. And that's not what I'm going to dispense right now. But I do think it's a mistake to put the, any kind of weight watchers or fitness or the rules that adults can do food mindset into family eating and into talking to kids about food. Um, I think it's interesting. This mom said she's currently doing Weight Watchers. So I think that's where her head is right now. I, full disclosure, I'm a person who's been both thin and heavy. Right now, I'm sort of on like the puffier side of, of my ideal weight. So I, and I, but I feel like I know what I would need to do if I wanted to change that. And I, you know, I, I those rules are becoming ingrained in you when you're an adult, but kids, the impulses they have uh, just don't work with that kind of rule setting. So, for instance, I can take all the sweets out of my house, never buy ice cream, never buy any ingredient or anything that seems appealing, and I'll come home and Teddy will have eaten a whole bag of hot dog rolls, right? So, like... What am I going to do? Like, say, like, we're never going to grill hot dogs again because, like, Teddy can't have any. No, it's just like the conversation can't be, you know, this is how many how much sugar you have. This is like the rule of thumb for this. It's got to be more like Teddy, like eating a whole bag of hot dog rolls is just not a good idea. I try to keep it much more general. Uh, I try to keep it much more about health, much more about just kind of like you know, politeness around, hey, we're going to have dinner. So maybe eating a whole bag of hot dog rolls like two hours before we have dinner is not a great idea. And I'm just trying to be, like she said, worrying about, you know, creating shame and so forth about it. I'm just trying to be a little bit more back on my heels about it, wait and see, because I do know for a fact, because I've seen it happen already once in my house, that the bodies of kids this age between like eight and all the way through teenagedom, they change over and over and over and over again. And at nine years old, you're sort of in that beginning of that throes of adolescence, awkward, you know, go, growing out, then growing up or growing up and then growing out stuff. I would say talk to your daughter's pediatrician. Try to develop some language around it that's like sometimes foods versus everyday foods. And when you're at parties, that is a sometimes experience. You know, parties are a sometimes thing. So maybe saying letting it go at a, at a cookout is a, is a good idea uh if you are in fact you know creating healthy habits at home so it is a balance but i'd say hang in there and um 
just know that every time parents like me have tried to implement rules, like adult style rules around eating and nutrition, what you end up getting is the opposite result. You end up getting kids who like hoard candy in their bedroom or you end up getting kids who the minute they have an opportunity to drink a soda will drink two liters of soda. So it, it is tough and it's serious, uh, but it's also maybe not as serious as you think it is at this point. I'm sorry, that's not super specific, but that's kind of where I land on it right now. No, that's good context. I mean, it's worth saying that um, it, like the rule-based approach is hard for adults too, right? It's not as oh, yeah. though adults just have a super easy time controlling their portion size and their calorie intake and whatever. I was struck by something from the beginning of Anna's call where she said um, she she described her daughter's approach to to sweets as uh, like a, a focus and a compulsion and like intense love. And and that made me think that like, you know, every kid loves sweets, right? I love sweets. What the hell? Sweets are delicious. But um, that made me think there's something more going on there that like this is a kid who maybe is is has some emotional stuff going on and for whom uh eating sweet foods or eating you know whatever's delicious is a way of like tamping down anxiety and and easing whatever kind of emotional stuff she's going through but that um maybe you know, of course, it's right. As Rebecca said, you should talk to her doctor and you should make sure she's getting enough healthy food and and all of that. But maybe also it's worth sort of trying to understand, like, is is stuff difficult for her right now? Is there stuff that's feeling hard? Is there a way to talk to her about that without talking about the food? Is there a way to understand better what she's going through and leave aside, you know, what her body looks like and, and what she's been eating just for now? Um and and try to address some of the other stuff um because obviously you know being nine can be really difficult and um a lot of us kids and adults alike um use food in all kinds of ways to soothe us or comfort us or whatever uh and so yeah maybe there's maybe there's more to address here than just the the calorie intake that's really insightful. I mean, I think it's important and to just give you a little more, even more context here. Both of my kids struggle with their weight at times where they were also, I think, just mulling over stuff about their two houses and their, and their parenting situation. And, you know, in my case, it's a little bit extreme because, um, the kids' dad and stepmother are both triathletes who, uh, from, from all reports, you know, eat basically perfectly. You know, they eat like kale and, you know, chicken breast. And I'm not sure how much and many other things are uh, <laughs> other ingredients are there. I mean, it's not a judgment. It's just that they live a very healthy lifestyle. That sounds horrible. <laughs> well, it would be horrible. I wouldn't be able to survive it. But, you know, they, they seem to uh, to enjoy. It. But I think some of the food stuff is a reaction to we have two different houses who like have and I am a big cook and I always have lots of food available because I grew up in a house where there was never anything fun to eat. So when I went to college immediately, I started stuffing my face with everything that was available around me because I was like, oh, I get to eat this and I get to eat this. So I, I try to keep a variety of things available to try to avoid that situation. And so I think there is an emotional component to it. It also has to do with just differentiating yourself, you know, and, and, and 9, 10, 11, 12, that's kind of when it starts happening. This girl is a very good chance that, you know, her mom says she doesn't know she's going to Weight Watchers, but it's a very good chance that she, She knows you know, that the mom has stuff around her weight. Right, right. And, and what, a, and it's, it's, it's kind of an, an interesting way to sort of act out 
a little bit of that burgeoning independence, right? By, you know, and it's, it's, it's my, my older son, Henry used to joke when he sees pictures of himself when he was 12. He's like, look at me. I was eating my feelings, but it's not really a joke. It's actually what he was doing. Um, but yeah, she probably does know that. And there's just one other thing I want to say. And this is something that to be completely honest with, I have struggled with too. And I think it's, you know, very much a part of our culture. There's something about, and I'll, I'll put it on myself. Like, do I want to be a person who has overweight kids? Like immediately, like my, my, my gut reaction is to be like, no, I want my kids to be healthy and, and fit and whatever. But at the same time, we are, are doing that exact thing we say we don't want to do around shaming and around body image when we imagine ourselves as the kind of parent who doesn't want to have overweight kids, right? So, I, one of the things that really helped me with Henry was when I started thinking about it like this. If he ends up becoming like really overweight, like so what, right? The conversation becomes then what about like health, right? They come, you, you try to, try to change it. But to try to take myself out of the equation and this, and, and realize that like, it's not about me if I have a kid who's struggling with their weight as it was really helpful for me. Like realizing that like, it doesn't say anything about me, uh, or it shouldn't that I have a, a kid who's struggling with weight. Um, but I think that that's something that we put on ourselves and has a lot to do with what's going on in our culture around weight. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. And, and it doesn't make it any easier for you as a mom. And it, it doesn't make it any easier for the kid either to, to feel all that stuff that's bound up between you with all of this. Right. Absolutely. It's tough though. Uh, it, it, I mean, it definitely is. And I, I don't even have kids who are yet at an age where like, you know, we have to tell them like, no, you can't have any more candy, but I can still control the amount of candy that they eat. If my God, yeah. if they had like independent access to candy, that just is sort of terrifying. <laughs> and I bet you're still, your kids are still at the age where you're trying to get them to eat a lot of the time, right? Yes. Yeah. Especially Leo. Um, Eliza yeah. eats pretty good, but no, Leo like just is not interested in eating particularly. So we told, we told him that eating will make him grow. And now whenever he eats a bite of food, he says, is I bigger? Aww. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's great. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think like the, the, health issues and i there may you know sometimes there are real health issues involved but like the health issues can can be a kind of proxy for some complicated emotional stuff both in the kid in isolation and also in the relationship between the parent and the kid Uh, I, i think that's part of what you're getting at and um it's a lot to sort out i think it's important to approach it not with the goal of like how can i get my kid down to a target weight but with the goal of how can i help my kid be happy and be herself and how can i have a happy relationship with her right you got it all right good luck anna um give us a call back let us know how it goes nickelodeon's got your preschoolers covered from sunrise to bedtime with four brand new podcasts grab their backpack and go on a culinary quest with dora's recipe for adventure Make game time great time with Let's Guess Who with Josh and Blue. And tuck in for adventure with Nickelodeon's Goodnight Bedtime Stories. Plus, we've got a brand new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Search Nickelodeon on your favorite podcast app to listen. We have another call now. It's from Michelle. Hi, my name is Michelle. And my daughter is 11, an only child, a really great kid. She's bright and funny, empathetic, but also moody and occasionally really fucking annoying, basically a teenager in training. My 
biggest concern is that she really isn't passionate about any of her activities. She's a good reader, but not an avid reader. She enjoys swim team, but she doesn't really push herself to be the best. She plays piano just well enough to get by. And when I ask her what she likes doing, she says play video games, which I'm okay with. But most of her screen time actually seems to be watching horrible, navel-gazing YouTube personalities do stupid stuff, which is so passive. I would love to see her really excited and into something, even if it's something I don't care about, like shoes, which is a shout-out to Carvel. Do you think that there is a way to foster her search for what really floats her boat in life? Or will this happen on its own and I just need to stay out of it? I would really like her for her to have a hobby that's anything other than watching YouTubers. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to hearing an answer to this question if you guys decide to air it. Thanks. Well, definitely a great way to inculcate passion in any child uh, is for their mother to constantly hound them about having some kind of passion. I, I know I know that when my mother constantly said to me, why do you not have any hobbies or any passions? Then it inspired me to take up both the violin and chess, which I now play to grandmaster level. Uh, that is not true. Rebecca, what do you think? I was going to say, I was actually, you had me going there. No, I, I got, that's believable. No, You're my, like a totally believable chess player. I, I neither play the violin nor uh, am more than a beginning chess player. Um, well, so you, via the video game Rock Band, um, now have an all-state jazz drummer or whatever. Um, Aspiring all-state jazz drummer. Still still audition. But yeah, I do. But that, but my younger son, that's Henry. Henry has always been a kid who had passions. He was passionate about Legos. He was passionate about... Um, then he became passionate about the drums. He's been pa- he he's a filmmaker, like a budding filmmaker. He has like this whole like now you're just bragging. Like, oh no, 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 my my no, kid has no. so much passion. But oh. my other one, my uh, other okay. kid, Teddy, good. Okay. she's describing him like uh. that's exactly what he's like. He's uh. tried and done everything. He does uh, sports in school and he just skates like. He does Nordic skiing and at meets like he'll ski by and talk to us. And like, if you know anything about Nordic skiing, you know that like you should not be able to talk while you're doing it. <laughs> like that literally means he's like not putting any effort at all into it. It's just about social stuff for him. He's that way with all of his sports. Uh, he's that way with everything academic. He's that way with everything he's ever done activity wise. He tried fencing. We did gymnastics. We did. He's done swimming. He's done karate. He's done everything a kid could possibly do art. Um, and none of those things sparked any kind of excitement or interest until he started watching fucking terrible YouTube videos about people playing Minecraft. Like that was the that was sort of the inward uh, point where I actually saw him get really upset when he had to start doing it. So what she's talking about, I don't think it's a unique phenomenon. I think YouTubers have basically um, changed the, the landscape around passion. It is, I think when we were growing up, Gabe, like if you were really into video games, it meant that you were sitting alone in your room by yourself or maybe sitting with a friend playing Sega Genesis or whatever. But now the video game world and the screen world is about interacting with people around the world. And a huge part of that is watching stupid fucking navel gazing YouTube videos. And what those people are talking about are the things your kid is interested in. And what she's hearing them say is that she's not alone in being really passionate about this world and this stuff. And I think a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that I had started like talking about the gaming world at dinner as if like acknowledging that this is part of Teddy's life. And it kind of changed the conversation a little bit. Um, I don't have advice about how to infuse your kid with passion, but I would say instead of sort of adopting the attitude of even if it's something I don't care about, please just love something. 
learn more about what it is that she cares about and see if it sparks something in you that you guys can talk about it. And then maybe it could evolve into something more interesting. Maybe you could find a, you know, maybe she would get into making her own YouTube videos, you know, get her like a little web, webcam or something. I don't know. But I, I think that the, the summary dismissiveness of the navel gazy YouTube as being fucking annoying, which, by the way, you're not wrong. It is um, isn't going to help advance this conversation at all. Yeah, that seems good. I was also going to suggest getting her a camera and getting her to start making those videos. Although then, like at some point, I don't know, at what age do you want your kid broadcasting themselves to the world? This whole thing with uh, – I'm about to sound like a fogey, so I should I should retake <laughs> do it. that. No. Do it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> do it. Be a fogey. Come on, do it. All right, all right, all right. Um, th- This whole thing with kids are now broadcasting themselves all the time and and sort of creating a packaged version of themselves to send out to the world and constantly market testing which version of themselves gets more downloads or more likes or more watches or more views or more snaps or more clicks or more pops or whatever are the, the particular tokens of affection in the whatever social channel they're exploiting or being exploited by. Um, all, all of that is great and I just love it a hundred percent. I just think that that's a fantastic context for children to grow up in. But there's a way in which it, it, it worries me and I don't know what I'm going to be able to do about it. There's nothing I will be able to do about it and I will at some point sort of hoist my own children out onto this um, sea of social approbation or disapproval to be um, rated by the crowd with thumbs pointing upwards or downwards like um, Roman citizens at the circus. Um, But... (laughs) That got brainy fast. Given given that, um, it may be that, like, yes, allowing her to participate in this conversation and, like, letting her make her own videos and respond to the videos that she's seeing and, and like, becoming a participant in that and, and pursuing it um, is probably better than just mindlessly sitting there and uh, watching it. Um, other what than- were you passionate about when you were a child, though? Did you have – because I didn't really have a – yeah, I, mean, I, I was like a singer, like I sang in high school, but like I never had a thing that I, I did a lot of activities just like she's describing. I was always in plays and my mom would sign me up for shit, but like I never had any kind of passion until I was like 35 years old. Yeah, it was, it was, it was by definition, it was the things that my parents just sort of mildly looked down upon. It was, it was rock music and comic books. Uh, it was things right. that like, they weren't forbidden. They just didn't like meet with the parental seal of approval. And, and so there were things that I could just like explore and, and learn about and, and find pleasure in independent of my parents patronizing attempts to mold me into a particular type of person um and i assume something similar is going on for this kid and the uh, youtube and it took me you know when i like you know i was also i was doing fine in school and whatever but um it took me going away to college and like getting out from under the constant um panopticon of parental supervision to panopticon what is that what does that word even mean gabe uh yeah. it's like it's like a tower <laughs> with a security guard in the middle where okay. he's looking right, at it. all the different prisoners in there cells it's a prison tower uh it it, it. it, it connotes surveillance um it took me it took me uh, you know moving away to college and getting out from constant parental surveillance 
to um, be able to form, you know, passions of my own that were independent of my parents' uh, judgment or approbation. So I, I assume that, like, the main solution here is, like, wait a while and, and give her some room and let her do it by herself. Uh, but definitely, like, sneering at the YouTube is is a great way to cultivate her passion for watching YouTube. <laughs> it's true. But also, I do think that there is an increasing expectation to have kids that are passionate and love things, right? And I I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like, if you look at all the kids in the world, like, what percentage of them? How old is her daughter? Did she say 11? How old is she? 11, yes. Bright, funny, empathetic, really fucking annoying 11-year-old. If you look at it, all the 11-year-olds across the world and take a survey of how many of them have a passion, how many of them do you think are going to honestly say they have a passion that isn't coming through the lens of their parents saying, oh, like, little Bobby loves you know, swimming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. No kid loves swimming. No kid loves that. If they really have a passion, like this is in my pre-YouTube mindset, but if, if I really had a passion at 11, it was like for making my peers like me. Like th <laughs> that was literally all there was. Like what yeah. can I do that will like help me be popular or at least not horribly unpopular at school? Trying to not be a dork yeah, was your not, passion. Not being a dork was like a profound passion of mine <laughs> and, and one that I had to work at, as you can imagine, very, very hard. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. So I'd say that. Don't worry about it. Just as long as your kid is willing to keep signing up for things and has that balance of looking at mindless YouTube all the time. But she's willing to go to swimming. Like, that's what right. do you care if she yes. loves it or not, if she's willing to do it? Yes. Keep her up with the piano lessons. Maybe at some point she'll be like, oh, piano is actually kind of cool. Or maybe she'll give up piano. Who knows? You're doing what you can. Good luck. Time for uh, recommendations, I think. Right. Do you recommend anything? What do you recommend? What's your passion this week to recommend? <laughs> Well, my passion is the um, continuing love for the canceled sitcom Parks and Rec uh, that my family continues to enjoy. We kind of were late comers to Parks and Rec. We started watching it probably when it was airing its final season and we started watching the you know reruns on Netflix or whatever it was we were getting it at the time. And if you've never seen Parks and Rec, because of course now it's been canceled for a couple of years. And if your kids are coming of an age where they're willing to sit down with you and like watch a half hour of TV that everyone can enjoy, Parks and Rec has so many wonderful things about it. It is incredibly warm. It's incredibly optimistic. There's a lot going on in there that is very pre- 2016 America in terms of uh, people of different uh, stripes and political beliefs and um, kinds of communities working together and being together, negotiating, you know, situations together. But it's also like deeply, deeply funny in a subversive, fun way that's fun for adults. The characters are deeply funny in a subversive, fun way that's fun for adults. Leslie Nope is a great model for young girls. Ron Swanson is a wonderful also model for young girls in many ways. And um, I just really love it. And I can't tell you how often my family still at dinner, uh, in regular conversations in the car, pull out Parks and Rec references because that was a show that really brought us together. And we still continue to watch it, even though we've seen them all already and really enjoy it. So um, I'm going to say if you haven't watched Parks and Rec with your kids, give it a shot. You know, any kid who's old enough to watch a sitcom that aired at like 8 p.m. would enjoy this show. That's great. I am really looking forward to when I get to watch, like, basically normal sitcom <laughs> programming with my kids. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, 
I am going to recommend another TV show. I'm going to recommend the British science fiction fantasy show Doctor Who. Um, if you are a Doctor Who fan or Whovian, as they sometimes call themselves, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, you might have the idea that this is a show that's in the category of Star Trek or Star Wars or basically that it's a show about fighting in space. It's not really a show about fighting in space. It's mostly a show about monsters. It's a show about uh, like giant special effects, like cool looking monsters. Uh, and it's a show about diplomacy and civilization and depending uh, and excuse me defending civilization and um working together and overcoming mutual antagonisms and whether the monsters can ever be our friends um it it uh it comes from england it began in 1963 um it's it took a break for about 10 years in the middle but it's basically the continuation of a single story and so it has to like reset every few years with a new actor playing the doctor um they just announced that the next actor playing the doctor for the first time uh will be a woman and uh my daughter eliza is super excited that the doctor is going to be a woman um this is a great moment to get your kids especially your girls into doctor who it's probably good for like it's probably scary for a six or seven year old in a way that is like good for a brave six or seven year old who likes a slightly scary show about monsters but for a like eight nine year old it's probably like like right on target um you can all of the old episodes are on amazon prime or they show on bbc america quite a lot uh in this country um if you look on the internet plenty of people have opinions about which episode you might want to start with um but uh many of them are very silly many of them are very serious and terrific all of them are just a great alternative to shows about people fighting each other shows about people shooting each other shows that revolve around violence as a solution to problems if you are worried that this show is 50 years old and you will never be able to catch up that's not a thing you should worry about you can basically drop into a given episode uh and and it's usually a self-contained story and there's very little continuity baggage um the the doctor is a time traveler and you might find that the episode opens in ancient rome or on some far off planet and you might wonder what is this scenario what is this far off planet but everybody else is wondering that along with you each one opens in a new and strange location that's part of what makes it fun you never know what you're going to get all of them uh revolve around solving problems with wit diplomacy and charm um and they feature at their center a protagonist who is a uh fundamentally compassionate loving wise argumentative obstreperous witty uh and <laughs> beloved alien um doctor who bbc america check it out it's really good how how would you compare doctor who to giles from buffy the vampire slayer are they similar characters definitely the contemporary doctor who owes a lot to buffy the vampire slayer um giles giles in buffy buffy fans will will know what we're talking about um Giles is like more of a, he's the headmaster, right? Yep. Yep. The doctor is the mischievous schoolboy in the body of the headmaster mm -hmm. or soon in the body of the headmistress. But the doctor is fundamentally a, a force for trouble and chaos rather than a force for order and containment. All right. Well, I just want to take umbrage with one part of your recommendation. Sure. Star Trek is not about fighting Absolutely in space. Absolutely right. I knew that, I knew that <laughs> while I was saying it.
<laughs> Star Trek is sometimes on a civilizational level about conflict, but it's it's rarely about conflict on a narrow. It's about people solving problems and trying to bring peace to the universe You're in an right. intellectual way. You're absolutely it's not right. About and, space. and although it has a it has a sort of chilliness to it that I've never been able to to get access to, um, I I regret my slander against the Star Trek <laughs> uh, mythos and and withdraw. Uh, my comments about Star Wars, uh, excuse me, and withdraw my comments about Star Trek. Star Wars, on the other hand, can go fuck itself. <laughs> Amen. And that's our show. Mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Mom and dad are fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. If you have a question you'd like us to tackle, call 424-255-7833. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fighting. For Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll be back next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.